Better tell the kids not to listen to this episode of the Historian's Podcast. We're going to talk about the history of Santa Claus and his real-life inspiration, St. Nicholas. Joining us is Wayne Vanderwall, a school psychologist who's also a veteran Christian ministry leader. Hello, Wayne. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Bob. Thanks for having me. This is wonderful. I appreciate it. Wayne Vanderwall is the author of the historical fiction novel, The Gospel of Santa Claus, inspired by the true story of St. Nicholas. That's what we really want to uh, get at in the in the podcast, the uh, story of the historical figure, uh, St. Nicholas. But tell me first, w- you know, why did you write this book? What is the origin of this book in your personal life? Yeah, back in 2008, I went through a divorce, and uh, so it was a rough year. The holidays rolled around, and I had, was a single father of two children, ages 11 and 9, my daughter and son. And uh, digger deep and digger deeper into my faith and wanting to make the holidays more meaningful and being disillusioned with the materialism of the Christmas season, I started reading more and started researching who Santa Claus was, St. Nicholas. And his story just amazed me. I was amazed how, uh, why didn't I know this story? And then started asking around and uh, most people I knew didn't know his mm. true story, and and so uh, I'm visual. So a movie started forming in my head, and I can't go out and make a movie, but I can, you know, write. And so I just started writing the story uh, for my kids, mm. for me and my kids, because I would read to them before bed at night, and and so that's how uh, the book came about. Certain irony here. I mean, I've heard people complain about Santa Claus as being your part and parcel of this commercialization of uh, Christmas because Santa brings presents. But you found uh, that St. Nicholas uh, is uh, is different in a way. Or I, I guess he brought presents to people as well, but he was uh, more of a kind of a saint. Well, he was he became a saint. Yeah, he ironically, you know, we, we turned Santa Claus into, you know, part of the materialism of the current culture. But in reality, St. Nicholas... Uh, he actually gave everything he had away. He was the, the opposite and, and got rid of material possessions, but was very generous, and he gave them to other people and loved to touch and bless other people with gifts. Well, let's, uh, let me ask you about St. Uh, Nicholas. He um, w- was born in the year, what, 20, uh, 270 uh, in the uh, uh, Christian uh, calendar. Yeah, yep, 270. Uh, some accounts say 280, but uh, just doing my research, I think 270 is a more accurate uh, date. And he was born in uh, a country at the time called Lycia, which is today Turkey. So Santa is from Turkey. He's Turkish. Mm-hmm. And um, he lived until 342. He And also, and this is kind of complicated, he's known as Nicholas of Berry, which is in Italy. He never went to Italy, did he? Uh, no, he, uh, well, he might have as far as sailing, because he did do some uh, adventuring. I, we know he went to Egypt and Israel, as far as uh, documented accounts share, you know, so that you never know, but as far as uh, the berry, uh, how that came up is uh, in 1089, 
uh, his bones were in uh, still in Turkey uh, at the time. Uh, the place was called Myra. He was the bishop of Myra, and uh, that's where his bones were. And then uh, the country kept changing hands, and so people were worried about that they weren't going to be able to visit the bones. And so sailors from Bari, Italy, uh, took the bones back to Bari. So that's where most of his bones are uh, currently. Mm. And uh, where he was, you, you said, was Myra uh, in, in modern-day uh, Turkey. Tell us about him. He, his parents were wealthy? Yeah, so uh, in, back in 270 A.D., he was born... Uh, to wealthy Christian parents, and so uh, that's strange just by itself because Turkey at the time was Greek, and they were under Roman rule. So here, uh, to be Christian and to be wealthy in a Greek society in a Roman Empire was really unusual. So, uh, yeah, he was born wealthy, and tragically his parents died when he was young in a plague, and so he inherited all their fortune. Hmm. And then you say his moment was he felt called by the Almighty to give to give to the poor. Yeah, so he, he took Jesus, uh, Jesus's uh, call to give, uh, you know, and to live for him. And so he took it uh, as a, a call to take a vow of poverty. And so at that point, he gave all his fortune away to the poor, sick, and suffering. And that started the legend of uh, Nicholas's generosity. So, I mean, that was his gift-giving, which we, you know, continue in the Santa Claus tradition? Yeah, and then there's stories that go along with his gift-giving as far as uh, his generosity. One of the most famous stories is uh, there is a father who is poor, and he did not have dowry gifts for his three daughters to get them married. And uh, so he was contemplating selling them into slavery, which uh, a lot of people think was basically prostitution at that time. And uh, so Nicholas had found out about this, and so he snuck into the house and left gold coins in the oldest daughter's shoe, uh, and uh, snuck out, and they found it, and, and of course they were happy, and then he did it twice more for the other daughters, uh, thus saving them from a possible life of uh, you know, prostitution or slavery and, and saving them. So that's one of his more famous uh, stories, mm-hmm. and also the sneaking into the house and uh, leaving the gifts secretly, because he, he uh, I sense as he... As a Christian, God talks about giving in secret, so you're not getting all the glory that he's getting the glory. And I think Nicholas took that seriously as well and tried doing it secretly so God would be glorified and and not him. But uh, the story goes that the father eventually figured out it was uh, Nicholas and told everybody about it. Hmm. And Nicholas became a priest and a bishop. And in in what church was this what... Uh, was we would call maybe the Roman Catholic Church, or was this an Eastern rite of of Christianity? That's a great question, and I definitely will not profess to be a a uh, church historian. Uh, but it's my understanding uh, the church at that time was an organized church. 
going all the way back to the Apostle Peter, uh, who was a disciple of Jesus. And, uh, but at that time, around 300 A.D., the church, I think, was just the church. And the Roman Catholic Church, there's a, uh, it's called the 1054 Schism. In the year 1054, that's when the East and West Church divided, the Roman, the Latin, and Greek. So that's when the Roman Church came about and the Greek Orthodox Church came about, and that was kind of the split. So uh, that's when I think they, those official titles came. Mm-hmm. Uh, L- long know, after Nicholas's time. Long after, yeah. yeah. So I think at that time, at Nicholas's time, the, the church was just the church. Yeah. And he also was, in, in terms of the Roman Empire, he lived both at the time when he and, and others were persecuted for being Christians, to uh, did he live to see the adoption of uh, Christianity by the Roman Empire? Yeah, it's uh, he lived in a really interesting time. Uh, I uh, studied the years between 270 and 280 A.D. They went through, I think, uh, 10 Roman emperors. It was a risky business to be Roman emperor at that time. Uh, but then by 280, the emperor Diocletian came up. He rose up and uh, he hated Christians and would blame them for a lot of, uh, use them as a scapegoat for things that were going wrong with the empire. Uh, But he managed to stay in rule for uh, quite a while and uh, turned the Roman Empire around, got it, strengthened it again. And uh, as he got stronger, at some point he proclaimed himself a god and expected uh, all people to bow and worship him. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the Christians at that point, with their uh, one God, uh, they refused to do that, so hence the persecution, and Diocletian did mandate edicts against the Christians and burned down churches and confiscated all their properties and uh, persecuted the Christians, and if not killing them, imprisoning them. And so Nicholas did... Uh, spend time in prison. So, yeah, Santa Claus has done time in the big house. <laughs> yeah. And they think probably about five years uh, is how long he spent. But then at some point, and Nicholas was still alive, right? Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Constantine is emperor of Rome, and he uh, converts to Christianity. Yeah, so uh, so we're, I think Diocletian, uh, he actually became ill and was the first Roman emperor ever to step down. I think that was around 305, 306 A.D., and then uh, after a few uh, emperor exchanges, Constantine eventually came into rule, uh, I think around 315, and uh, and then, so Nicholas was still around, yeah, so Nicholas was still around, Constantine came into rule, and he uh, made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire, and so then, uh, in 325 A.D., uh, Constantine was, I think, a little frustrated with all the different uh, beliefs going on as far as Christianity, so he brought all the bishops, I think about 300 bishops, together in 325 A.D. for the Council of Nicaea, and uh, records indicate that Nicholas was part of that. He was one of the 300 bishops where uh, they discussed doctrine uh, in particular, the Trinity and when Easter would be celebrated. Mm. We're talking with uh, Wayne Vander 
Wall, who is uh, author of the historical fiction novel The Gospel of Santa Claus, inspired by the true story of St. Nicholas. Uh, we've been talking um, uh, um, glibly, if you will, about St. Nicholas, but I mean, how do we know these things about him? And you know, so much time has has elapsed. Are we? Uh, I, I get the impression that some of the stories about uh, Nicholas are just not verified, or they're really unverifiable. Yeah, you know, uh, there are records, uh, there are indications. You know, there's, he was definitely a true, uh, real person, and uh, so there's enough documented evidence to show. And because uh, his his fame started shortly after his life, I mean, he was so well known just while he was living. It's interesting as far as saints go. Usually, saints are uh, more known for their death than their life. But Nicholas, he's one of the the few saints because he lived so long and had such a impactful life on so many people in so many ways uh, that he uh, his reputation just went before him. So uh, there's no doubt he was real. There's enough documentation. Uh, to show there's records of people visiting his uh, uh, tomb. And so, you know, so you have to dig deep. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the best resources, I think, out there is the St. Nicholas Center. And uh, it's a website, uh, stnicholascenter.org. And so uh, they, what I like about them is they cite a lot of their uh, their findings. Hmm. There's quite a bit out there, but yeah, there's still left a lot left out there for speculation, for sure. For example, how old was he when he died, and how did he? Do we know how he died? Well, you mentioned uh, 342. I most of the dates I've seen was 343, which would be, and then add if it was 270, so that hmm. would be uh, 73 years old uh, when he died, and. Uh, from what I understand, he he just died a natural death. You know, if anything, seventy three back then uh, was a long life, and uh, so not sure mm-hmm. how he died, but uh, I'm assuming it was just old age. How long did it take? Do you know to, for him to become a saint? Um, officially, it wasn't until about the tenth century where. Uh, he, my understanding that bishops could uh, identify someone as a saint, and at that time in the the ten hundreds, uh, I said tenth century, ten hundreds, uh, someone, one of the bishops, had uh, designated him as a saint, mm-hmm. and but then uh, when the Catholic Church in the eleven hundreds, uh, they, that's when they officially designated him. Uh, but it's hard to say when he was first designated because, uh, as we were talking earlier, you know, pretty much within a couple hundred years after his life or after his death, uh, you know, he was being, uh, I don't know if immortalized is the right word, or, pray, or prayed to, something like that. Churches yeah. built for him and, and uh, monuments put up for him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, anywhere from within a couple years of his lifetime up to the 10 hundreds, uh, you know, he was first identified as a saint. 
We're talking with Wayne Vanderwall on the Historian's Podcast. He's author of the historical fiction novel, The Gospel of Santa Claus, inspired by the true story of St. Nicholas. We'll continue with uh, Wayne in uh, just a moment. I do want to put in a in a word for our GoFundMe campaign, which keeps the Historian's Podcast going on the internet, uh, go to gofundme.com forward slash 2019-the-historians. And you can contribute there online, or you can make out a check to me, Bob Cudmore, and send it to Bob Cudmore at 125 Horstman Drive, Scotia, New York, one. Two three zero two, and thank you very much. Wayne Vanderwall has uh, written the Gospel of Santa Claus, inspired by the true story of Saint Nicholas. Once Nicholas became a, a saint, I mean, he was a saint for all kinds of things. I wrote a little list here: sailors, merchants, archers, repentant thieves, prostitutes, childrens, brewers, pawnbrokers. I mean, uh, a very popular saint. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's, uh, you know, worldwide. It's just uh, amazing. You know, after I did the research, I, I had no clue before, you know, how widely known he is. There's thousands of St. Nicholas churches around the world. And uh, as you mentioned, all the different populations that identify with him, not to mention countries, Russia and Greece, uh, he's a patron saint of those countries as well. Well, here's the question, as we're now in the Christmas uh, holiday season. How did St. Nicholas become Santa Claus? Okay, that's a great question. So, my research shows that uh, the Dutch had settled in New York, and uh, New York previously was called New Amsterdam when they first had it, uh, and they brought their tradition of St. Nicholas, that was uh, the Dutch for St. Nicholas, but they had a nickname for him, Sinterklaas, and we're talking 1600s when uh, they uh, ruled over the New York area. And uh, so they had their Sinterklaas, and, but then uh, they had New York approximately 1625 to 1664, and that's when the British came in and took over, and that's when New Amsterdam became New York. And so the English speakers came in and uh, became the majority. And as they learned from the Dutch, uh, the tradition of Sinterklaas, uh, their English pronunciation uh, morphed over the next century to Santa Claus, Sinterklaas to Santa Claus. And one of the earliest documents uh, I've been able to find was in 1773, I think it was, a New York paper had published that uh, Dutch families and a, an organization called the Sons of Nicholas were getting ready to celebrate uh, St. Nicholas's Day on December 6th, uh, otherwise known as Santa Claus, is how the article was mm. written. So by 1773, 74 is uh, when they were is the first documented use of, of the word, the name Santa Claus. Santa Claus. And that's an interesting point. I mean, his feast day in the Catholic Church is December 6th, right? I mean, 
not December 25th. Yeah, so uh, December 26th is the official day. A lot of people celebrate December 5th. It's kind of like Christmas Eve and Christmas. Sometimes uh, the eve of December 5th is, is more celebrated. Uh, that's when, uh, like the Dutch cultures and, and mm-hmm. other countries, uh, they expect the visit from St. Nicholas on the night of December 5th. Uh, in preparation for December 6th. And you're describing things that happened in our neck of the woods here in uh, New York and upstate New York. And uh, um, I've always been told that newspaper in Troy was the first to publish uh, uh, Clement Moore's Night Before Christmas, which gives us kind of a Santa Claus or St. Nicholas that we can you know, it's like a real portrait of him. It very becomes a very popular portrait of how he acts and how he has flying reindeer and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that was 1823 when uh, that poem was first published uh, anonymously, and it was titled A Visit from St. Nicholas originally, or that's its uh, you know, real title. And, uh, yeah, for Clement Moore there in New York, New York's, you know, definitely uh, been a, a huge part of uh, American uh, Christmas culture, uh, for sure. And go a little before that, 1809, Washington Irving, he published a book titled The History of New York at that time, and, and he had identified St. Nicholas as the saint of New York at that time. Uh, and... And so he had some descriptors about Santa Claus or St. Nicholas also uh, with the pipe and uh, I think the pudgy cheeks. That And so many think that Clement Moore got some of his descriptors from uh, Washington Irving in 1809. Then the poem came out in 1823 anonymously. Uh, it wasn't attributed to Clement Moore until 1837 when an article was published about him mm-hmm. uh, writing it. But yeah, that... Uh, that was you know, hugely influential as far as the Santa Claus we have today. What about the uh, influence of the English figure, Father Christmas? Uh, didn't that also contribute to the ideas of Santa Claus? I know uh, they're related, to be honest. I, I can't speak much to the Father Christmas. I know they, a lot of the traditions at that time, they were all kind of uh, crossing over as far as uh, you know, with the English here bring Father Christmas and then, you know, the Santa Claus and Santa Claus, and it all meshed together. Mm. Uh, but I'm not familiar n- enough with the Father Christmas. Well, with the um, founders of New England, let's say, not so much the Dutch, but the, the Puritans that came across the, the ocean, I mean, they had a different grasp of Christmas. It wasn't a celebratory day, as I, I believe, uh, and so <clears throat> having Santa Claus and, you know, kind of a jolly holiday was was something different uh, when it, it came down the pike with uh, this uh, Santa Claus, this sort of Dutch figure. So, again, I, I can't speak much to the Puritans either as far as, you know, they uh, what they were able to contribute or, or what they added as far as the traditions go. Uh, but, you know, going back to Clement Moore... Yeah, that was, he was definitely the, that was the big turning point as far as uh, connecting St. Nicholas Santa Claus to uh, 
Christmas. And it's interesting because Clement Moore's poem, if you go back, uh, the stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas would soon be there. And so it's all about St. Nicholas and St. Nick. They don't even mention Santa Claus, mm-hmm. even though Santa Claus had been known. But uh, that's where, uh, from there, the uh, Christmas really became popular. And then the uh, gift-giving and and uh, buying of gifts and, uh, I hate to use the word commercialism or materialism of the season began, but, but that's it was after that where it began. Wayne Vanderwall's book is The Gospel of Santa Claus, inspired by the true story of St. Nicholas. Thanks for the historical trip. We just have uh, a few minutes left. Let me ask you about your book. Um, your book, how is the book structured? Or what is this story that you're trying to get across in the book? So what struck me most with uh, me and my kids when I researched them uh, way back when uh, was just really learn the true story of St. Nicholas and who he was as a person, that uh, he, he was wealthy, he gave all his money away to the poor, sick, and suffering. He, he was sacrificial, he was generous, he was kind uh, you know, to everybody, the poor, the sick, the suffering, and just touched many lives. And so it was just so inspirational for, for me and my kids at that time to really just add more meaning and to remember who he was. He was a priest and bishop in the church. He devoted his life to God. And so, uh, you know, to connect him with Christmas, it just makes so much sense because uh, remembering what the true meaning of Christmas is, that uh, mankind, humankind, had a sickness, a disease at that time, uh, and still do today, called sin. But Christmas is a story about uh, God rescuing us from that sin and the cure being Jesus. So Christmas celebrating the birth of Jesus is uh, just so powerful, you know, that uh, connecting St. Nicholas, who devoted himself to God, and connecting it to Christmas and the birth of Jesus that set in the wheels of motion of Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection to save us from sin. Uh, it just makes so much sense, and, and just seeing Nicholas's life uh, of giving, of compassion, of love, uh, joy, hope, you know, all the things that we look at Christmas, you know, around Christmas, everyone's just a little nicer, uh, even in New York, and, and I love New York. New York has a special place in my heart growing up, watching Macy's Day Parade uh, every year, and Miracle on 34th Street, and now the movie Elf and Rockefeller Center and ice skating. Just It's just interesting to learn New York had so much history uh, behind today's Christmas and, and the country looks to New York in so many ways uh, at Christmas. And just remembering, you know, it's just a time for all of us to set our differences aside and just love on each other and care for each other. And, and that's what the... Uh, the book tries to get across is uh, the, the life of St. Nick, who he was, his compassion, his love, joy, hope, peace, and, uh, and hopefully uh, it's an entertaining and thoughtful and touching book uh, you know, for anyone who reads it. Mm. What is, is it just out, or has it been out for some time or some years? I first published it last year. I just did a soft release uh, last November. 
and so now I've had time to uh, do a few little revisions to it over the year, and so now this year is really where I'm just uh, getting it out uh, to the public and marketing and getting mm-hmm. publicity. Well, Merry Christmas to you, Wayne Vanderwall. <laughs> Thank you. Merry Christmas to you. Wayne Vanderwall is the author of the historical fiction novel The Gospel of Santa Claus, inspired by the true story of St. Nicholas. You've been listening to The Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cutmore. <laughs>